It was almost 20 years ago in a time of conflict and uncertainty at Highland Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, that the congregation decided that they would put on a musical production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. How many of you were here at Highland in those days? A pretty good number of you old-timers. I mean, uh, long-timers. There are copies in our archives, and it's great fun to watch this production. They turned this entire chancel into a stage with ramps and a cast of, I don't close to 100, I would think. It was an amazing production that they put on for several uh, nights in a row for the community. They, they decided to do this musical because the church had been in significant conflict over who should be called as the 16th pastor of Highland Baptist Church. And the musical became a way for them literally to harmonize together, to heal, to bring some unity, and to have some fun together. And when it was over, they called me to be the pastor, and we've never had conflict since. I've wondered before if perhaps having the name of Joseph as my name gave me somewhat of a leg up over the other candidates for the position. Well, this morning I read some, uh, a portion of these 15 chapters, almost a third of the book of Genesis, that's devoted to this character of Joseph. It comes right on the heels of the story of Jacob and Esau and the, the uh, events of those two brothers. And here's yet another story that talks about the human condition. It tells about everything bad that we are, about our incredible ego needs, about uh, arrogance and sibling rivalry. It talks about parent, parental favoritism, jealousies, fears, how we compete with an, an, each other, political intrigue, scheming, ingenuity. There's a little sex thrown in and, of course, revenge. A lot of bad stuff. It's a bad story. But it's also a good story. It's a story of heroism and redemption. It's a story of ultimate reconciliation and restoration. It's a story that says there's abundance. There's more than enough for all. And it's a story of hope that God is not done. So which is it? Is it a bad story or is it a good story? Which is a question I suppose we could ask of each one of our stories. Is your story a bad story or a good story? Perhaps it depends on how you frame the story, how you tell the story, and how you hear your story. My friend Kyle told me this week about being at a church-wide pool party down in uh, Nacogdoches, Texas. Little Nathan was playing with his dad there in the pool, and there was a bee that was floating on the water when Kyle got too close, or Nathan got too close to it. The bee stung the little boy on the arm. If you've been stung by a bee, you know it hurts. Not just in that moment, but it hurts for quite a while. They took him out of the pool. They made sure the stinger was out. They put some Benadryl on it, but he was undecided. You know, he didn't feel good. His arm hurt. Should he go home? Should he not go home? His dad said to him, well, honey, we'll take you home, but the sting is going to hurt at home, too. Uh, You might want to stay here. Kyle called little Nathan over to where he was standing in the water. Kyle asked him, hey, do you know the story of Spider-Man? Yeah, he said. 
do you know how Spider-Man became Spider-Man, he asked? Yes, he said he got stung by a spider. So you got stung by a bee, right? What would that make you? And he said, bee man. He said, I I wonder if bee man has any special powers. And Kyle said, of course he's got special powers. Bee man can swim underwater. Little Nathan said, you mean put your head under the water? He said, yeah, you can swim around underwater if you want. And for the rest of the evening, that bee sting went away and bee man swam all around the pool. It's all in how you frame your story. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. He's the firstborn to Rachel, so he's the favorite. He gets the special coat, and he's a a dreamer. He has these dreams, and he doesn't have enough sense to just keep the dreams to himself. It's kind of an innocent naivete. He tells his dreams. He tells his brother, I had this dream. All of you and mom and dad, they all bowed down and were bowing in front of me. Well, that was about the last thing these older brothers needed to hear from this favorite's child. They they resented him deeply and, as we read, looked for an opportunity to get rid of him. They were going to kill him, but they sell him into slavery. It's really an awful story when you think about it. What brothers could do to brothers. But then it's kind of no surprise. If you've been reading in the book of Genesis... God creates this world. He creates it beautifully and good. It's harmonious. Everything works in unity and in community. But immediately there's disobedience. They're expelled from the garden and there's confusion. Cain kills Abel. There's all this bloodshed going on. Finally God says, I need to reboot the whole thing. Floods the whole world. Saves a few folks with Noah and his family. But no sooner is the water receded than the people are building a tower up to heaven to try to be God all over again. Then we hear the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who will be called Israel. We hear the story of Jacob and Esau last week, and then the story of Joseph, who winds up in Egypt, of all places, and yet in Egypt, which would be equivalent to the valley of the shadow of death. In Egypt, the writer of Genesis says, and God was with Joseph in that place that he did not want to be, God was with him. He goes up the ranks. He's, he's an enterprising young man, as most people named Joseph are. He's, he moves up the ranks to the point where he's in charge of a great deal But then Pharaoh's wife takes a shine to him and tries to seduce him. And when he rebuffs her offer, she lies about him. And Joseph ends up in prison. And in prison, the writer of Genesis again says, But the Lord was with Joseph. In Egypt and in prison, the Lord's with him. There's a baker, there's a a, a waiter who's also been thrown in jail for a certain term. And the waiter's having these dreams and Joseph's able to interpret the dreams and, and interpret them accurately. So that years later when the baker is let out of prison and is restored again into the household of Pharaoh, when Pharaoh starts having dreams, the waiter says, you know what, I remember this guy who was with me in prison. He came from up north, and 
he spoke in a funny accent, but he could, man, he could interpret dreams. They go get Joseph out of prison, bring him before Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets the dream, which is that there's going to be a famine come to the land. You better get ready. You've got some good years here, but you don't need to waste it. You need to store and warehouse as much as you can because there's going to be seven years of famine. Pharaoh asks, well, who can I get to organize such a a massive undertaking as to have enough food for all the people in our land? And Joseph said, well, how about me? And the next thing you know, Joseph is the vice pharaoh, if you will, of all of Egypt. He's in charge of the food, and who gets the food? And who should come begging in Egypt? But his traitorous brothers, the ones who had thrown him into the pit, had talked about killing him, but decided to sell him, do something even worse, sell him to the Ishmaelites and take him to Egypt where all of these things befell him. They come asking for food. It's just like the dream had predicted. They come bowing before him, just like the dream had said. And Joseph recognizes them. But they don't recognize Joseph. And you can just see this story. If you're watching it on TV, you can say, oh, I know what, this, I know what the ending is going to be here. He is going to get his revenge. He's going to expose them. He's going to humiliate them. He may may kill them all in revenge for all that they've done to him. But the book of Genesis is not simply about our human beginnings and patterns. It's not simply about our human brokenness. The book of Genesis is the book about God. God who is active and present in the world in every time. Not just at the beginning when all things were good. But God was with Joseph in Egypt. God was with Joseph in Egypt, in prison in Egypt. And God's with Joseph when he's confronted with these who have turned on him. And we read this story and recognize in it the full circle of a God who is always retelling and renewing and revealing this love and forgiveness, this abundance that says there's more than enough for everyone, this generosity of forgiveness for both brothers and for father. Joseph tells them who he is and says ultimately in verse 15 of chapter 50, you intended this for bad, but God intended this for good. The God who said at the beginning of creation, it's good. At the end of the book in chapter 50, intends good from the circumstances that Joseph is faced with. It's so important how we tell the story. And let me quickly say, I don't believe what the writer is saying is that God orchestrated the bad in order to do the good. 
That would be like someone setting fire to a house in order to come in later and rescue all the people from the house and be a hero. That's not how God works. Rather, we do the things that we do. We betray each other. We hurt each other. We become jealous and envious. We hoard what we have. Our motives are self-serving and self-preserving and self-focusing. But there's a God, a presence who's all around and even within us, who began with creation's chaos, with that formless void, and can still work with the formless voids of our lives, the broken places of our lives, our fears, our failures, and our betrayals, and start working there, intending good. Intending good. God doesn't have to start with perfection in order to get to perfection. God starts with where we are. Not with where we should be or could be or would have been, but rather where we are. Which makes me wonder, what if we could each hit the pause button on our lives for just a few moments All the events and circumstances, the tragedies and experiences, the formless chaos of our lives. And there's many, there's much formless void and chaos in this room as I look around. What if just for a moment, beginning now, with what you have and who you are, with what you're facing in the days or weeks ahead, you could live out of the truth that God intends this for good. God didn't make it happen. But God will take it and make it for good. That God can be with us in the good times and the bad times and bring grace and life. In the midst of a broken marriage, God can bring life. In the midst of hurtful words and accusations and selfishness, God can work for good In the midst of disappointment and failures, God can work for good. In the midst of medical challenges that face you, God can work for good. We don't get a do-over button in life. But perhaps we can think of a God-over button in life. We don't get to rewind and go back to the beginning, but we can start where we are with what we have. And God can bring a healing miracle to our lives. I know there are a lot of people who frankly don't believe in God. And the truth of the matter is, I don't believe in most pictures of God either. But what if there is a God who is present, who is real and visible for those who want to see, who are willing to look for God? What if those like Joseph who experience that God is with them in the prison in Egypt can experience that God over button to experience their lives as God-infused, God-possible, God-guided, God-intended? It's what Joseph's life's Joseph's life models for us that God can use the messes to do the work of love and bring the story full circle. It's very good, said God, all the way to the end, 
You intended it for bad. God intended it for what? For good. It comes full circle. It's like the question that Cain asked. Am I my brother's keeper? We come full circle to the end of Genesis, and we find that the answer is profoundly, unequivocally, yes. We are our brothers, our sisters, keeper. It feels to me that this is the meaning of the cross of Jesus. God didn't kill Jesus. But God used Jesus' crucifixion so much so that the cross becomes the symbol of the firm foundation of God's encircling love to bring hope and healing out of despair and death. And I believe that if given the chance, God, who is the source of love, can, as the Apostle Paul said, work all things together for good. This is what it means to have faith. Faith is not certainty about some ideological idea about God or Jesus. Faith is trusting in this cosmic unity of all things, the good and the bad and the ugly, and believing that God, the mystery, is in the midst still working, still creating, still making new. St. Bonaventure from the 13th century said, unless we're able to view things in terms of how they originate, how they return to their end, and how God can shine forth in them, we are not able to understand. But here we are, confronted with this Joseph story, we're being invited to understand and see our lives and frame our lives and tell our stories differently. God infused God intended. This truth is easily lost, of course. We lose it every day. We forget. Our faith gets overshadowed by the things. And events and circumstances in this world remind us that it's hard. It's hard to keep faith. If comedian Robin Williams can take his own life, what does it say? Doesn't suicide say that there's no hope, there's no possibility of joy, no God, there's no way to return uh, the bad to good again? Except that we have God. The God revealed in Jesus who is the spirit and energy of love who begins where we are as we are and finds a way, always finds a way to turn it to good. It's not automatic. It's like sending students to school. You students who have begun school, showing up is important, and I encourage you to show up. But you've got to do more than show up to become intelligent and mature and wise. Becoming intelligent and mature and wise takes a partnership, takes your openness to to learning and growing and achieving and striving. To use Bible language, we call it a covenant. Without it, without it, you don't learn. And without this covenant with God, God who desires to do the good, without this covenant, the good becomes bad 
again. We end the book of Genesis in chapter 50. You intended it for bad, but God intended it for good. And we turn the page to the book of Exodus, which begins with these words. Now there arose a king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And the result, if you've read the book of Exodus, is yet another story of conflict and fear and aggression and domination, which is a story being played out countless times through history, even until this very day, in Ukraine, in Palestine, in Iraq, and in Ferguson, Missouri. Meanwhile, God waits, hoping someone, some people, maybe us, would come to believe and live our lives out of a deeper faith. My friend Guy Sales is a pastor of the First Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. That's a pretty good gig. It's a great church. It's a great town. And Guy is a, a really a great pastor. He's very disciplined. In the recent years, he's gotten on a health kick and is slim and trim. So it was very shocking to those of us who are his friends to learn that he had been diagnosed with a multiple myeloma. He's now in that stage where they've done the bone marrow transplant, where he's just barely able to hold his head up. But occasionally he's able to get on the caring bridge page where you can send out a note to the congregation or to friends who are signed up to hear what you have to say through the Internet. Here's what he wrote this week. There is blessing in the darkness. Mercy in our brokenness, grace in our failure, and courage in unwanted but unavoidable change. There are good gifts wrapped in hard circumstances. There's a loving God who meets us in our brokenness, sustains us in our weakness, and rebuilds us amid the ruins. I think I've been wrong all these years about why Highland put on Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. I thought it was just a way to have some fun, to be united. There's some comedic scenes in it, a lot of musical numbers, lots of staging, lots of ways for people to be involved. I thought that's what it was. Just let the dust settle, distract us for a while. What I realize is this message of Joseph foreshadows the ultimate message of Jesus the Christ. That it might be that what we've done that's bad, God can take and make it good. Are you willing to be God's partner today? Let's pray together. As we are gathered in this place, O oh God, it's fairly easy to say, yes, we want to partner with you. What we pray for is the wisdom, the depth of faith, the maturity of love, to see you even in the prisons of Egypt. As we do, 
May we wait for you to do your good work of love. And at the end of the day, may all glory and honor be yours now and forever. Amen.